Amen. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. The family and the friends that we hold dear, those closest to us, if the names are already coming to your mind, coming to your heart of those people that are nearest and dearest to you, we're thankful to be in their presence, right? We are thankful for those relationships, correct? Some of us are thinking generally yes, but this morning has been difficult no, yes, we, we, are, we are thankful for those relationships. And, and does that seem like an odd question to ask you? Are you thankful for your closest relationships? Are you thankful to be in the presence of your loved ones? It's, it's probably not odd, but it's a question we likely don't consider each and every day. To be thankful to God for those relationships that mean the most to us, to have fellowship with those that we love and they love us, the ones that mean the most. From my personal experience, there there were times after my children were born, moments outside of the bottles and the diapers and the crying, and you are quietly holding this life that is attached to yours, this precious new relationship that is yours, and, and what came out of my mouth from my heart was, thank you, God. Thank you, God. My wife, when I met Brittany, this, this city girl from Birmingham who actually liked me back, I, I remember that and that developing. And then this, this woman who became my beautiful bride who loved me in marriage even when I, I'm unlovable, have been and continue to be. And, and there are times when I think about all of these things Card writing times, you know what I mean? When you're about to write a card to your loved one, there are times when I think about that and what comes from my heart towards this relationship is thank you, God. Thank you for this. There are times in Scripture when Jesus himself prays thank you to the Father. There are are times when, when Jesus extends gratitude to the Father. This is literally the gratitude of God as it is the name of this series for this month. Prayers of thanksgiving. And in the scripture, in each of these prayers of thanksgiving during the series, Jesus is praying and he's thanking God the Father for making himself known, for God being involved, for him being near to us and for being available to people. This is the son thanking the father for communion with man. And so often we take that for granted. We bow our head and we bring our request and we come to church and we open God's word and we take for granted that God involves himself with the world, with people just like me and you, not of any kind of status, but just that people who desire to know our creator. Today is a reminder that God reveals himself. And he involves himself so that we might have communion with him. That means that we can pray and know through the blood of Jesus that God Almighty hears us. He hears our prayers. That means that we can sing and we know that it honors him. We can read his word and know that God speaks. It means that we can be filled with his spirit and know that God cares. And Lord, We just ask, oh God, today that your spirit would guide us into all truth. What is it that we need to hear as a church? And individually, what is it that you need to say to us today? Spirit of God, would you speak? 
We ask, God, that you'd bring truth into our life for the blind spots, grace into our life, Lord, we hold things over ourselves even. We just ask, oh God, that you'd remind us that this relationship that we have with you is not something to be taken for granted, but it's something for us to express gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. 25 through 30, this is our text. And before we read it, just before this passage, Jesus is pronouncing judgment over a few towns. And basically saying that, that other towns that Jesus knew and, and in biblical history, had he done the miracles before them, they would have repented of their sin and turned to God. But these towns, having the very presence of God and the miracles and revelation of God before them, instead of acknowledging the power of God and the revelation of God and seeking their creator, they turned their own way. They turned to themselves. They decided to continue to devote themselves to the life that they believed was theirs. Apart from God, they went their own way. And Jesus said, for any that would hold their life as their own and go their own direction based on their own conclusions apart from God, Jesus said, sorrow awaits them. A judgment type of passage. And then we get to verse 25 through 30 in Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, here is his gratitude expressed. Thank you. Jesus to the Father sets the example for us and prays thank you. Now look at what he thanks God for. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My father, Jesus said, has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son and to those whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said in verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Man, we like that one, don't we? I know I love that one. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This again is God offering communion to all of us, to us all, to every person that's in here and every person that is out there and everyone in between God offers fellowship to the created from the creator to be in fellowship with our God. But this communion, it doesn't happen simply because we exist. In our existence is our sin, and sin from great to small separates us from God. Therefore, we must come to God on God's terms. We say that quite often. Just because we are here and have been created by God does not mean that we are right with God. And what stands between us and our righteousness is our sin, the sin that belongs to our name. And so we have to come to God on God's terms. What are the terms of God? If you look back to that passage preceding this one in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, the reason that there is judgment upon these towns is because the Bible says they had not repented of their sin and turned to God. 
Now, if you look in Acts chapter 2, Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. There it is again. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or because that you've been forgiven, you must be baptized. Baptism follows real salvation. What is real salvation? It is two sides of the same coin, faith and repentance. Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin. Turn from your sin, turn to God. That's what the Bible says is real salvation. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I've had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Turn from your sin, turn to God, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That is what it really means to be right with God. If I ask you that question this morning, before you just heard that, and I said, what does it take to be right with God, what would your answer be before what you just heard? If you yourself would have said, well, it takes going to church, it takes giving every once in a while, it, it takes uh, being good to people, it takes believing in God. It takes something. I'm not exactly sure what it takes, but I know it takes something. But what I've just read to you from three places in the Scripture is the same message from the Word of God. That real righteousness with God is to turn from sin and to turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, this morning, it could very well be inside of your heart that God's Holy Spirit is already doing one of two things. The Spirit of God is drawing you into a right relationship with God that you've never had. And you talk about it and you want it, but you don't know if you've got it. And you come to church and you're hoping that your good outweighs your bad. But God's Spirit, hearing God's Word, is working up something within your heart that goes, you need what He's saying. And that's God's spirit drawing you into a right relationship, line in the sand drawn that you are turning from yourself and all the faith that you've got, you're turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, to respond to that, that's gonna take some boldness. You're gonna have to get with somebody and ask them the questions you've been wanting to ask. You're gonna need to let the church know so that the church can help you and walk with you because you're not meant to be alone. But it's a simple as faith in Jesus, it's as serious as repentance of sin. And what you need to do if God's Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart is to write where you are before this service lets out. Go, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And I believe that Jesus is the way to God. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to come into my life and change me and change the direction that I'm on. Call out to God the best way that you know how. Cry out to God in faith for forgiveness of sin that belongs to you, not anyone else. If the Spirit of God is drawing you to do that this morning, stop playing games and start getting serious about heaven and hell and eternity and realize that all of these things that we talk about are true. But it could also be that the Spirit of God is drawing you back to relationship you once had, but you haven't been knocking on His door in a while. Like you're here, but the distance between your heart and your life and God, the God who saved you, is a great distance and you know the gap needs to close. Call on the Lord, rededicate, whatever you want to say, but draw near to God, the God who saved you, the God who has involved himself with creation so that we might have this close relationship. Repent of your sins and turn to God by faith in Jesus. This is how we have communion with God.
serious, it's simple. And listen to this. It's so simple that many will miss it. Did you hear that? It's so simple that many will miss it. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they thought that their access to God was guaranteed through their knowledge of the law, through their rigid adherence and practice of the law. They would have been jeopardy champions at God's law. No one would have beaten them. They would have been rigid rule followers to the hilt, but they wouldn't have even known God in the process. Their religion was their undoing because their religion had more to do with them than it did with God. The wise and the clever is what the Bible calls them. The wise and the clever, those who are intelligent and they are proud of that intelligence. And those who are too smart for their own good will often miss the message that is simple of God. There's no need for anyone to enlighten them because what is true, right, real, and wrong, they can find that out on themselves. Whatever they need to know, they can make their own conclusions. This is the downfall at times of the intelligent. Listen, God isn't hiding the truth from people, only those who think they are smarter than he is. As one author said, to qualify for the gospel, the only thing that you need to be is a sinner. Not a theologian, not a scholar. Some of us think we have to be these things before we can get into this church. That we have to be these things and get this part of our life cleaned up before we can be right with God. Some of us think we need to be a choir boy. We need to be a shining example of morality. And then we will be able to come to God. The only thing that you need to understand about yourself is that you are a sinner in need of God and that sin is not beneath you. A child is none of those things. A child's not a theologian. A child is not a scholar. A child, children are not shining examples of morality. They'll take your juice and goldfish quicker than you can blink. <laughs> That's what children do. God reveals himself to those who are willing to admit their need for help. To those who would acknowledge that they are sinners. Those who are dependent upon upon his power and his grace and forgiveness to make them right. That is who receives and hears the message of the gospel. These are the childlike, those who are dependent and submissive. One Wednesday night at church, uh, the church that I grew up in, I remember there was a, a strong storm heading our way. One of those North Alabama days that was a little bit of cool and a little bit of hot and you know the sirens were going to go off at some time, and it was a Wednesday night. And we were all there at church on a Wednesday night, and it was in the summertime. I remember that. It was in the summertime. The evening was long. And just as things are wrapping up, and I think we were all in the fellowship hall, that small little church, just as things were wrapping up, a local volunteer fireman comes barreling into the parking lot of our church. And everybody knew him. We'll call him Roy. Roy comes barreling in, to the parking lot of our church, and just about as everybody's getting ready to leave, he slams the door open, and he's got a slicker on, and he is urgent, urgent warning, and nothing's happened yet, but he says, everybody get back where you are. Nobody leave. It's headed straight for us. And the grown men in the church looked at him and said, Roy, good to see you, buddy. Take care now. And they all got in the car and left. <laughs> and it's funny looking back at it, 
Because I was like, man, nobody took you serious at all. Like they just passed right on by you. Let me ask you this, which by the way is funny now because everybody was fine. We went on home and the storm never even came near there. So a little bit of overzealousness. But let me ask you this question. What if he would have went into that fellowship hall and it was only children and he delivered that message? What would children have done? What would their reaction have been? Fear and trembling, trusting and obedient. Be intelligent, be intelligent. Nothing wrong with knowledge. You find it throughout the scriptures. Nothing wrong with knowledge until it puffs you up. Nothing wrong with knowledge until you think you're smarter than God and you can make your own decisions. Be intelligent, but don't be wise in your own eyes because if you are, you will miss the messages of God. And Jesus, the son, thanked God for this. Did you notice that? He thanked God the Father, the Son of God, thanked Father God for this. For what? For concealing God's truth from those who would not receive it. That's just. That is justice. And for making a right relationship with God simple and accessible and to receive. Are you not thankful that the good news of a right relationship with God is as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord out of a heart that knows you need forgiveness? I don't want to get in the religion works department where we have to work ourselves to death hoping it'll get us in. I'm thankful too that God has made it so simple that I can understand it, that a child can understand it, that we can be saved even though we don't have all the answers, that we can be saved even though we are a mess. Are you too not grateful that God makes this message available to all of us, the saving power of God for little old us? It pleased God to do it this way, the Bible said. It pleased God to do it. To do it what way? The right way. To bless the humble and resist the proud and to keep God at the top. You see, you don't take glory from God. If you feel that you are outsmarting God or smarter than God, smarter than the Bible, you're trying to take glory from God, God's not going to have that. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 29, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. No one. I, I, myself, I don't want a philosopher over me. I don't need an academic determining my righteousness. I count on God for that because even the best people I know, the smartest people I know, the wisest people I know need Jesus. Need forgiveness, need grace. And we count on God for those things. Verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, y'all listen to this. Everything that is, was, or will be has been assigned to Jesus. Everything. All things life, all things death, all things past, present, and future, now in eternity. The phones that you look at now have been assigned to Jesus. The, the, the homes that we live in have been assigned to Jesus. Everything that we are involved in have been assigned to Jesus with his authority being over it. The big pictures of your life, teenagers, college kids, as you are thinking to yourself, what do I want to be when I grow up? The future belongs to the living God belongs to Jesus. The big questions of your heart, 
What will I be? Who will I marry? What will my future look like? Will I be alone? Will I be comforted? All of those big questions, they belong to Jesus. The truth about it all is found in Jesus. He is the word that breathes life and purpose into your existence. He is the light that shines into your darkness. All of your everything has been entrusted to Jesus. All of it. And if all of our everything has been entrusted to Jesus, then none of it has been entrusted to us. Did y'all hear that? None of it has been entrusted to us. He will always be the only one capable of adequately mediating the ways and the will of God to us over our everything. Jesus only Jesus. So to keep the conclusions of your life for yourself, I know that's what the word says, but here's what I'm going to do. Now, how many of us may have not said that out loud, but we've thought it at least. I know what God's word says, but this is what I'm going to do. We, that when we do that, we keep the conclusions of our life and our future for ourselves. And that is something that is not our responsibility. It's something that we're not equipped to do. It's to take our life in our own hands. This is to be what? It's to be wise and clever in your own eyes. Across the world, religions figure their conclusions from creation. They figure their conclusions about God from tradition. They figure their conclusions based off of manuscripts from men. But according to verse 27, listen to this. No one knows who God is truly except the Son and to those whom the Son reveals himself to. His distinct purpose, Jesus, is to reveal God to man. Now, when verse 27 says, no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This brings the question, who has the Son chosen to reveal God the Father to so that others may know God in addition to the Son? It really brings a simple, serious question to us all. If the Son knows the Father, can we also know the Father as the Son knows him? Because the Scripture says, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Who can know God. Listen to this. In short, everyone who believes, everyone who turns from themselves and turns to God by faith in Jesus the Son can know in a right, real, and relationship with God. Now, if that don't wash over you with some kind of reverence, you've been in church too long without really recognizing what's going on here that we can know almighty God of the universe, God of the ages, God of history, the God that we call on when we have problems, the God that we sing to on Sundays. If it does not touch your heart to know that through the blood of Jesus Christ that you can have a right relationship with God, you've been doing tradition too long. You've been doing these things so long that you've forgotten what you've actually got. You, through the Son, can know the Father. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, and notice the family language. 
the Son, and the Father. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So the Son knows the Father, and because we know the Son, we also become children of God. Children know their daddy. Children know their father. When we believe in Jesus, we become children of God. We know the father in a right and real relationship because of faith in the son. Faith in the son gives you new life, gives you forgiveness of sins, gives you a spiritual birth and a right relationship with the heavenly father. Now, what does all of this practically look like in our life? It looks like my daughter at the book fair. What in the world are we talking about? It looks like my daughter at the book fair. All of this, the practical right relationship with the father, looks like her. It's been a couple of weeks ago, my daughter went to the book fair at school. She needed some money, obviously, because when the book fair comes to town, they got you, parents, don't they? They got you. There's something there for sale, and it's shiny, and our kids want something to read, yet they come home with like six posters and five rings of stuff. The book fair needs to be honest about who they are. Y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> My daughter went to the book fair. We gave her some money to purchase a book. That money belongs to us. It was entrusted to our child. She came home and showed us what she bought. And she did buy a book. And then she gave us the change from that book because it was underneath what we gave her. But the change was not as much as I thought it should be. So when I asked her about the change that she brought home, she said, I gave one of my friends a few dollars because they were a few dollars short and couldn't buy their book that day. She said, I knew that would be okay with you. She's right because she's seen us do things like that before. So because she knows the Father in a right and real relationship, she knows how to handle other people. She knows how to live her life in regards to how we do it. That is how it practically works. When you know the Father through a right and real relationship with the words and read and the example in scripture of Jesus the Christ, you know how God wants you to treat people. You know how God wants you to give. You know how God wants you to stop doing what you're doing and start doing what you should do. You know those things because you spent time with the Son. We don't come to God in an academic relationship. Knowing God is not a college course with labs. And once you pass it, you know Him. No, the childlike know God the Father by believing in the Son and walking with Him daily. That's how we know the Father, and that's how it practically looks in our life. And the reasons why sometimes we drag sin in here on Sunday mornings because Monday through Saturday has been a difficult go is because we've only been walking with ourselves and not with Jesus between Sunday and Sunday. And when we walk with God through faith in Jesus, studying his word, being guided by his spirit, we come back here on Sunday with praise be unto God and thanksgiving because we have been spending time with him. And when we spend time with him, we know him and we represent the light of Christ before the world. Listen, the examples of Christians that I appreciate the most 
are not those who know the Bible backwards and forwards. They are those who simply do what God says out of a love relationship and a working relationship with Jesus. When our lives are filled with following Jesus the Son, we know God the Father. 28 through 30 and we'll be done. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my, for my yoke, listen to this, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. Rest was gifted to Israel through the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus said, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God gave rest to the people of Israel he gave them the Sabbath. He gave them an assigned day to stop work and to be present with God. The principle is actually being practiced right now where we are. But because of human interpretation and because of human tradition, the principle of rest became this burdensome prison of rules. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, these leaders of these traditions... The Bible says they crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease their burdens. They had religion. They had restriction, a prison of rules. As I've studied, now y'all get this. As I've studied it, there are as many as 39 categories from Jewish law of prohibited labor as well as hundreds of subcategories for what must be done and what must not be done to rest. Did y'all hear me? That doesn't even make sense. 39 categories filled with hundreds of subcategories given to God's people towards resting. Let me take this further with specific examples. For example, no joke, adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers was not allowed on the Sabbath because this was an activity that caused plant growth. That's out. Can't water the flowers. Here's another example. The act of simply touching a hammer, grabbing a saw, or, or moving a piece of furniture out of the way, it has to be avoided on the Sabbath because it might cause you to unintentionally perform a forbidden type of work. Man, this sounds like a restful day, doesn't it? Like as soon as you get up and you turn the alarm clock off, you're like, oh, I don't know if I should have done that. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, and then you go and open the door and you're second guessing yourself. Like, should I have just like teleported through the door somehow? <laughs> it, it causes, these kinds of restrictions cause you to think about what you were doing over and above the principle of what is given. These types of examples were not given in the scripture. Now listen to this next part. In their day, the people of Israel were deceived into thinking that everything counted towards their salvation. All that, everything. But if I'm honest, in our day, we're deceived into thinking that nothing counts towards our salvation. That God just accepts us for who we are because I'm alive and you should, oh Lord. Salvation is not received by our work. And salvation is not received by no work. Salvation is received because of the work 
of Jesus Christ. Because of the Son. And when you realize that you cannot do enough, but you realize that there is a standard of holiness and Jesus has taken the place for the punishment that should be yours, but you get it anyway because of faith in him, that's when you get to rest. That's when you go into Sunday morning ready to sing songs because you know you can't live up to it, but he's already paid the price for it. That's when you get to be stress-free and lift your voice to the Lord now. Salvation is available because of his work. He carries the weight of our sin. He still stands in the power of God, which is why we must trust him. And only when we turn from our sin and turn to God by genuine faith in Jesus do we understand the rest of a right relationship with God. Some of us still, even after hearing all of this, think, yes, but I know I've got to. Well, if you've got to and you do, you steal glory from God Almighty because he did the work for you. You, by faith, must receive it. Amen? Stop thinking there's a list of demands unto your salvation that you can check off the box and be right with God when you get there. If you do that, you'll second guess yourself and live in a life of misery all the way to heaven. Sometimes being saved despite yourself. The only way that we are right with God is under the name of Jesus Christ. Understand this though, you've got to understand this. The burden of Jesus that's mentioned in verse 30 is not nothing. It's light. Did you hear that? That's not going, y'all get on in there, we don't need you. That's here, carry this while you go. But the burden that Jesus, that comes with faith in Jesus is light. The burden of following Jesus is not without effort. What do you mean? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter five and you read the Sermon of the Mount to humble ourselves, to show mercy, to keep ourselves pure. This is the effort to work for peace, to live in the world and light it up and not fall in love with it, to keep our eyes from lust, to control anger, to have the right motives, to honor marriage. All of that, that is the responsibility of the people of God are found on the Sermon on the Mount. And these obedient standards are there for those who follow Jesus. So make no mistake, y'all, there is a yoke, but it is a call to submission. It is a call uh, for responsibility of right living, but it's light because Jesus, the Son of God, is humble and gentle at heart. Thanks be to God that at the core of his character is gentleness, not an open hand slap is not more restriction, but humility and kindness in how he deals with us. In Christ, there is a standard to abide by. Don't take his grace out of here and live the way you want to, taking it for granted. No, there is a yoke, but it is light because of who he is. In Christ, there is this standard. And hey, thank God for the standard because it keeps us from ourselves. Y'all didn't hear that now. Thank God for his standard because it keeps us for, from ourselves. The, the grace that is given to us when we violate the standard is because of the heart of God. There is grace and forgiveness as Jesus, the Son of God, suffered and served those who believe by bearing the sins of the children of God. Now, let me mention this this morning. Some of us call upon the grace of God a whole lot, but we sure don't want to give it to anybody. We are thankful for God's grace unto us. 
We are thankful that he is humble and gentle at heart. But we are prideful and severe at heart when it comes to dealing with people. Now, how does that work? See, what that shows goes back to the book fair example. That's what we think is acceptable, not who he is. If we spend time with God who is humble and gentle at heart, we won't be known for giving rules. We'll be known for truth and grace and balance. Are you with me? Some of us are all truth and no grace. And the same is true. All grace and no truth don't work either. That's why there is a balance of it seen in Scripture. So the theme of this series is found in this message. Thanks be to God. Almighty God invites the childlike into relationship with him who makes a way for those who repent and who believe to be right with God and to fellowship with God from now into heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to heaven? That requires a right relationship with God. That is to turn from yourself and turn from your sin, turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for his gentle and humble heart that provides for our forgiveness and life free from reformatory restriction. Consider this today as a final word. You may feel alone. There may be one or many of you that have come today and maybe this is the first time you've been to this church because you've been going to different churches to try to figure out what community looks like for you. There may be people here today that feel alone, but you've got to know and understand this. The creator of the entire universe, God Almighty, is inviting you into a close relationship with himself and into a family relationship with his church, which is why when we give the invitation, we include in it a call to salvation, a call to membership, a call to next steps of, of being baptized, of going to things like new members class because you need to learn. You need to learn to walk with God. God is inviting you into that, into a right and real relationship because his communion with us is for our good, but it is for his glory. And thanks be to God. Lord, thank you so much for your word and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for making this message so simple not indulging our pride, but making it a just offer of salvation to those who are childlike. We thank you, Lord, for making it so simple that we can understand it. Lord, if there are those in this sanctuary today that have been making it real difficult for a long time, I just ask God today that they would be the last day that they do that. And by faith, they would give themselves up and give their way up and their conclusions up to trust in you and the work that you've done on the cross our sins we thank you O Lord for the resurrection for the power over death that you provide hope of eternal life for us O God so Lord today as I pray I'm just asking O God that your spirit continue to work on our hearts as we move from this place Lord if we need to start showing grace Lord if we need to walk with you as we leave from here God may it be solidified in our heart Lord I ask God today that for those who are experiencing a conviction that they cannot deny in their heart, Lord, that they simply would turn to you by faith and seriously repent of their sin right where they are right now, oh God, oh God, that they would call on you.
Lord, we're here to help them. Father, help us to be responsible with that. Lord, whatever the next step need in our heart is today, Lord, may we take it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We have pastors here at the front for you. This altar's here. There are many needs in our congregation for this week, for the next few days. There's a a church effort tonight in a nearby community, a one-night worship service where we will preach Jesus tonight just like we did this morning. And people need to hear it in a nearby community just like we do in ours. There are many needs for us to take to the altar. We have people here to help you with the questions and the decisions that need to be made. Amen. Let's worship God, respond to God together.